Hello and welcome to Marketing on the Moon. I'm your host, Regan Olsey, here to help you learn how to implement the right Web3 marketing strategies that actually move the needle so that you can finally attract, nurture, and convert your ideal audience. In today's episode, I am so excited to bring on my Web3 favorite, Emily Rose DeLara. Since 2016, she's led Web3 marketing teams across the industry, including Bitcoin.com, Liquid Exchange, and OKX. And today, she's a leadership coach and host of the Web3 and Thrive podcast. As an AC-accredited leadership and mindset coach who uses a holistic growth coaching method to help overwhelmed leaders thrive without the burnout, Emily has seen it all in Web3. And in this episode, we discuss the challenges that future leaders in Web3 may face, from navigating a rapidly evolving industry to managing a diverse and decentralized workforce. So get your notebooks out, because over the next 30 minutes, we are going to touch on every single one of these topics and more. If you've ever wondered how Web3 marketing really works, or want to implement strategies that actually get you closer to your goals, Stick around. I promise you won't want to miss this. Hello and welcome, Emily. I'm so excited to have you on Marketing on the Moon. I feel like this conversation has been a long time coming, especially because of how well we know each other. But I'm so, so happy and grateful that you are here. Yay. I'm so excited to be here. And it's been so nice to be able to see you build this, plan it all out, and then finally come and support you on the show. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, you've been such a huge support. Maybe do you want to start by giving us a little more insight into who you are, how you got involved in Web3, and what you currently do, Em? Yeah. So I've been in Web3 a while now, actually coming up eight years, which is weird and crazy. And I started out as a marketer. I entered the world at Bitcoin.com. I moved into exchanges, led their marketing teams and then ended my marketing career as a fractional CMO. And then at that point, I took a break and decided I wanted to requalify and become a leadership coach. Actually, at the time, I didn't know I wanted to be a leadership coach. I was like, I just want to work with people and support the industry from the outside a bit versus being working in, in like one company. And so at that time, I didn't know what that looked like. And over time, having worked with clients, I realized that I can take all of my leadership experience and work with leaders and help them to navigate the space when it comes to their mindset, well-being, setting boundaries, managing teams, and actually helping them to have a nicer experience in this space versus the experiences that I dealt with in the past. It is wild that you started eight years ago in Web3 because that's really early on in the industry. And I'm sure you have a lot of stories about the early days, and that probably formed your opinion on what good and bad leadership looks like. So actually, I always say Bitcoin.com was like the golden era. For people who are listening now, they probably don't know what Bitcoin, well, they'll see Bitcoin.com, but they won't understand the movement of Bitcoin.com. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was had an amazing leader who had a very strong vision and mission and believed in his people. And so everybody in that company came together and supported each other to build towards this vision and mission. That was the best experience. Then... When I moved into the more traditional, not traditional finance, but the crypto world. So before Bitcoin.com is very much ideological, humanity focused, use case focused, moved into crypto exchanges, trading, hedge fund, all the traders coming over to the crypto space. 
And then there was a huge lack of leadership. In fact, there was just none. <laughs> there was no leadership. Mm -hmm. There was usually two technical founders, especially in these huge exchanges, two technical founders who were not necessarily talking to each other anymore. And they had their own product teams, their own marketing teams. And it was just a constant mess all the time. And you were, there was very much this grind hustle culture, which was like very prevalent in like early Silicon Valley days, probably still is. And the focus was not on the people. It was just what price is the crypto? How many partners have we got? How much money have we made this year in trading fees? They didn't care about the people at all. In fact, most of the exchanges didn't have like proper HR companies. And these exchanges were pulling in like millions and millions and millions. And they still didn't put the investment into the people. So that's two different parallels. Polar opposites. Well, parallels, no, I think it's a good way to describe it because you had these huge companies who had all this funding, who are making all this money, and then they're just not reinvesting it back into the people. What sort of complications or issues do you see arise when you don't have strong leadership? Because a lot of founders, I'm sure, look at their funding as, all right, we're going to turn this back into a revenue generator. And they don't think about how important actually building strong leaders is. Yeah. So the benefits of having strong leadership is that you retain talent. You mm -hmm. inspire people to come and work with you. You are the buffer, like the, the leaders are the buffer for all the shit. And you're, when you've got good leadership, the team don't have to deal with all of the shit. They are able to just get on and keep working and they're supported. And that's the big difference, the feeling of support. The feeling that someone's got your back, that someone's there to advise you and mentor you. And the benefits of leadership in any industry is that you know that you can rely on someone to help you figure stuff out. On a bad day, they're not going to ridicule you and ask you why you're not on Slack 24-7, right? So that's, that's good leadership. And what I've experienced in the Web3 industry is this whole lack of compassion, of kindness, of like this soft, soft leadership and there's no structure, there's no KPIs, there's no focus on like the well-being of the workforce. It's just, can you deliver? If not, we're going to get someone else. That's the reality. And I think by learning from past leadership, if you've been in Web 2 before Web 3, learning from how they do it in Web 2 is going to be very beneficial if you're building a business right now. And there are some good companies in Web 3 who are doing it. So the ones who've gone more like corporate, like, honestly, I think Coinbase are doing a good job as much as they get like a lot of flack in the industry. They've built out a sustainable business and they've got women mm -hmm. in the C-suite and they've got structure and they've got processes. They're like the meta of the industry, right? They're doing it right. We need to start following what these big companies are doing. As much as we don't want to be corporates, we want to stay a startup. Most of the time people want to be in these like smaller companies. We need to start looking at who's doing things well. I also think people push back against Coinbase because they have gone corporate. They feel like Coinbase has almost sold out or like sold their soul mm -hmm. to the devil. When in reality, they're a publicly traded company. They have requirements now and they are scrutinized in ways that they weren't beforehand. So, of course, they need to implement these processes. But it also means that we're not all chickens running around with our heads cut off all the time. As a leader, you almost hold an umbrella over your team's head. You catch all that shit and you make sure that they are only getting really the news and the updates in ways that is going to be digestible for them. You're not holding, you know, scary or bad news away from them. You're just not throwing it on them in the way oftentimes thrown on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're not sending them DMs at like 
10 to midnight saying, yeah. oh my God, this has just happened. We've just, this investor's just done this and now you need to do this like now. Crisis, right? There's just ways of managing things better. And I was recently speaking to Mary Kay from Near Foundation, the CEO. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me that she forces them to twice a year to take, I think it's full two weeks off, like the full company. I think it's two, one or two weeks, but it's mandatory all at the same time. I think that's amazing. She's an amazing leader, by the way. If anyone wants to look at an example of leadership, she is leading right now. And I think we need those examples, especially as Web3 is full of younger people who have been in the workforce for many years, but maybe have been in the startup workforce and haven't seen that example of leadership. And so being able to point to them is so important. What are some other resources that people could use in order for them to learn how to strengthen their leadership skills? Yeah. So if you're a leader, you're usually exec or C-suite, or you might be a senior manager who's just coming into your first like executive role. It's like your first big role. Most of the time when people come to me, it's because they have all of a sudden this huge responsibility and their brain just like goes to bush. It's like they already know all this stuff, right? They already have done all this stuff. But because they have all this responsibility to other people now to be responsible for, they kind of get stuck and they find themselves pedaling in water or treading water, not actually doing anything because they're so scared they're going to fail. They're not good enough. They want to make everybody happy. They don't actually ever get anything done. So. These kind of people would definitely benefit from coaching. Anybody who's struggling with confidence, understanding how to make decisions, how to negotiate, how to set real big boundaries between you and your teammates and your boss, whoever it is. That's where coaching would really come in. Sometimes people come to me in teams like, hey, we've got like five leaders. Do you think we'd be able to help them collaborate better? So coaching's really great for that. But also... I would say listening to other people who've already done something who are like one step ahead. So mm. when I was building my business, I started coaching with a business coach. And it was really interesting to see how she'd built her business. And then when I wanted to launch my group coaching, I did it because I'd already been through group coaching myself. So I learned from people who are already doing it really well. I would say that's one thing to do. So go look at podcasts, go read everybody's LinkedIn posts, watch YouTube videos. And then another thing, because coaching is very different to mentorship, is find yourself a mentor. So if you're walking into a big leadership role and there's a possibility to be mentored by someone who's also on the C-suite or is a bit senior than you, I would say go and seek that out as well. I think that's a great option. For some people, coaching is great. For others, they need to learn from somebody else by either watching in the background or having a up-close and personal relationship. Finding a mentor, though, sometimes that can be a little intimidating because I think Sheryl Sandberg talked about this, too, in Lean In. Have you read Lean In? No, I've heard of it, though. Yeah, it's really interesting. She talked about the concept of finding a mentor because she equally said it's so important to be able to go and build a relationship with someone, especially if you are you know, new into an executive role, new into a leadership role. You learn by doing, but you also learn by example. But people would come to her without having any idea really who she was outside of her book and say, will you be my mentor? And a lot of times she was like, I am not going to be the best mentor for you. How do you suggest someone actually go and find a mentor? I think you mentor a couple people as well, correct? Yeah. So younger people come to me. So really like success hungry 20, people in their 20s will come to me and say, hey, I've been following you for a while now or someone's referred me to you. 
do you have time to teach me how you became successful in your career? And I'm like, I cannot teach you anything because it's your own experience, but I can guide Mm. you and I can support you and I can tell you what worked for me. And so I do that for a few. And it's like really impressive to see these, like some like in their 20s, early 20s, stepping into massive roles and handling it like way better than I did, right? It's amazing. But what you've got to understand when it comes to mentorship is it's not a paid role. So you're not paying the mentor most of the time, which means there's less accountability. And two, you have to be extremely structured and organized Mm -hmm. and agendered. So when you meet up with these people, it's not just a, a chat. It's like, I've been struggling with this or I need advice on this. It's a real, it's a relationship where you're going to have to do most of the work. It's, it's a bit lopsided because the mentor is like, unless there's like a program running or you've managed to get onto a program where they're like doing more mentorship than anything else, you're going to have to really come and be proactive and say, here's what I need help on. This is where I want to be. Can you help me to learn this or do this? Or am I in the right path? So that's more mentorship. And to find a mentor, join communities. When I wanted to walk into a CMO role, like my first C-suite role, I got an amazing mentor because I was part of a community who supported women who had something running like this. They had a program to support the women who wanted to progress in Web3 as executives. So you have to be very creative in terms of Mm -hmm. where you want to look. So, I mean, there are websites, there are communities, there are LinkedIn people that you could follow. But the first most important thing is don't just like reach out to someone and say, hey, can you be a mentor? Say, hey, I want to get to know you. I'm inspired by what you're doing. I've learned so much. Would you be interested in having a chat and develop that relationship first? Because as someone who mentors other people, it's a huge, it's a huge commitment on my side because I have a shit ton of things to do and I already have a lot of brain capacity taken up so it has to be worth my while so sometimes actually when it comes to mentorship I'll ask for swapsies I'll say okay because of my time restraint constraints maybe you want to do my social media or um, and we'll do like one call a week that kind of thing I think that's a great alternative Uh, I say this a lot you have to and this applies to stakeholders as well especially in marketing you have to make it really hard for people that you're working with to say no And so you, on the back end, need to do your due diligence. You need to make sure, if we're talking about mentorship, that somebody's the right fit, that there's an actual synergy with what you want to learn and what skills they have. You have to outline that for the person that you're reaching out to. But it can't just be a transactional relationship in that way. It needs to be something a little bit more, and you have to work towards it together. But you have to get their buy-in. And you've also got to not treat them like a therapist. And you can't complain about things. You can't bring all your baggage to the table. It's like, this is a, like you said, transactional relationship, hopefully. And you're here for this one thing. And anything else, I would say get a coach because a coach will help you figure it all out yourself. And a mentor could be like a great little add-on. Mentor, I think, is also going to help you on the strategy side. They're going to walk you through, oh, I've been through a similar situation when we I don't know, launched this campaign, had a merger with this company, we grew our team in this way, they're going to be able to walk you through some of those more strategic decisions, whereas a coach is going to be someone who helps you change those limiting beliefs to help you take a step forward in your career in the, I don't know, how would you call that? The emotional, the confidence, the like qualitative skill set side. Yeah, exactly. The personal growth and like, 
just you're going to the next level, right? So you five months ago, when you came into this role, will not be the same person. And also when you step into a leadership role, a lot of people go in like gung-ho, like wanting to make a huge impression when actually if you just pace yourself, understand that it's a learning experience and it's a journey. And to lead, you have to become a leader. Like your mindset has to completely shift. And a lot of the time when you first go into it, you're focused on you and Mm -hmm. your results and what you're doing and your performance. And then that turns into people pleasing if you're prone to that. Then it, and then you're not getting the results because you're focused on you and you're not focused on your team's results. So yeah, that's one of the biggest things is like focusing outwards on your team when you first start moving into this kind of role. That's a great piece of advice. I see a lot of opportunities in the marketing world where that can be very difficult because we are getting a thousand requests every single day. How, when it comes to the marketing side of the house, would you suggest a leader start to manage some of that, especially if they're moving into a new role? So traditionally, if you're if you're a leader and we're talking about like CMOs, executives, mm-hmm. your role is to understand who to hire, how to hire them, manage budget and strategy. Actually, depending on the size of your team, you might not even be strategy. You'll have people running the strategy. You'll be in charge of the business KPIs for marketing mm-hmm. and meeting them. Now, when you step into that role, in if you're a marketer, coming from like a senior marketing role or a senior, like a director role, you've been putting the strategy together yourself. You've been running on KPIs that are tied to business goals. So you have to kind of step into a entrepreneur mindset versus being an employee who's working on KPIs only. Mm-hmm. And you have to be the one taking the risks. Yes, you'll have other people to help you make decisions, but you're the one who has to be different, innovative, taking risks. You have to be inspiring. A lot of the time what leaders do is they just kind of hide in the background, but the successful leaders, especially in Web3, are the ones who start making a name for themselves and people are proud to work for them because they're so inspiring and they can learn so much. You also have to really rely on your gut. Like you have to trust yourself as a leader in ways that maybe a lot of people are uncomfortable with because, yeah, you know, you're reporting into the founders. You are reporting on how your team is reaching those business goals. But you're also needing to, in a way, mentor these people on your team because you don't want to micromanage what they're doing. And that can be very difficult to manage those two different aspects. Yeah. Yeah. So that comes down to like, confidence in your own skills as a leader and understanding how to release things and and you could say that delegation right so the two challenges that my clients have the most is getting themselves into this paralysis analysis where they're doing everything but not doing anything because this is a new role and not trusting that other people can do the job as well as them that's like the biggest challenge is trust Because if the people don't do the job, then they're going to fail. So it all comes back to this like fear of failure and not being good enough. So if you move that out the way and you trust your people, you'll start to see hiring as like a huge opportunity. If I was a marketing leader and someone said, hey, you've got a million dollars of resources this year, I'd be like, this is fucking amazing. Like I can hire all these incredible, smart people who know way more than me and I can help them to be successful. And that's what it's about. When leaders come to me, and they're struggling with leadership, it's very much you can trust people, but first you have to trust that you're going to be a good leader. 
So it comes hand in hand. Confidence of being a good leader. And the only way that you can do that is by doing it. Confidence mm-hmm. isn't something you can learn. It's something you experience. And you can use tools and stuff. Like you can look back at your past successes. You can look at your daily successes. You can set intentions. Like there's tons and tons of things that you can do to improve your confidence. But you have to actually actively do the thing that you're meant to be doing. And it really helps like some of the clients, especially the ones who are like in this kind of I don't know if I can trust myself to be a good leader. How can I trust other people? They need a lot of structure to start with. They need to just be putting one foot instead in front of the other. It's crazy because we say all sorts of stuff about ourselves. Like when I speak to my coach, I'm like, sometimes like, I don't know if I can do it. La, 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 la. Mm-hmm. These women are insanely successful, like astronomical, some of them. And they're like, I'm shit. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not good enough. La, la, la. And they just get stuck. And so you just have to help them see the truth, peel away out of it and start putting a plan together for them to just keep moving forward daily, daily, daily. And over time, you see them kind of like come out of their cocoon and they're like, oh, actually the stuff I'm doing is like working and I feel like I'm actually doing a good job. For example, collaboration is a big thing and making alliances with all your other C-suite. And they stop putting themselves into this hole and working on their own thing on their own and not talking to anyone. They're able to come out of the cocoon, start talking to people, and then they start to find support. So they develop confidence, they develop support. Oh, cool. So actually, I'm spending a lot of time on this area of work over here. Say, for example, it's, I don't know, reporting, right? Depends how big your company is. They're doing lots of marketing reports. They're pulling all the data, la, la, la. Maybe I can actually hire someone who's like way fucking faster at this than me and I can focus on the stuff that's going to move the needle. And they start to get the confidence to bring people in because a lot of the time, one, it is they don't trust themselves to be good enough and then that means they don't trust the other person to actually succeed. But mm-hmm. then two, it's like, what if this other person is more successful than me, right? There's all these other comparisons going on. Oftentimes we'll look at leaders, you know, throughout the course of your career. I remember early on, I would look at them like, oh, there are these huge successful beings who I want to emulate. And many times they still are. But now I see them as humans who put their pants on the same way I do every single morning. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And the younger you are, the harder it is to see that, I think, in your career, Mm -hmm. not necessarily age. And I used to be scared, like thinking back early, early, I used to be scared to speak to founders like, oh, my God, like what they're going to think of me. They're going to think I'm stupid, that kind of thing. But as you get older, you're like, wait, wait, I've been a CMO. Like I can talk to these big, big, huge bosses who are making billions of dollars now. Like it's really weird. It's like you step up and you're like, oh, and especially having clients who are in similar situations. We all have the same thoughts, especially as women. We all struggle with the symptoms of imposter syndrome. We all struggle with confidence. We all struggle with not being heard, people pleasing, Mm -hmm. all these kind of things because of our own personal conditioning, because of society, la, 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 la. Having interviewed a lot of people as a leader, it comes across that me having an executive title is scary to them. That's like a scary thing, like having an interview of a CMO. I would love to break that down. So not necessarily be a flat structure because it doesn't always work, but I would love to see leaders make it themselves more accessible. How do they make themselves more accessible? Because I agree with you and I have my own thoughts on it, but I'm curious to hear yours. By using their compassion, interests in other people. So for example, let me think who is a great boss. Like even Roger Veer, like I know that's ridiculous, but he was pretty much my direct report and at first I was very scared of him but he 
would come to all the events with us and he'd just sit and have a chat and a coffee with us. And I was the marketing manager at the time, so I wasn't like senior director or CMO, but he was, and we'd have dinner together and stuff. It's just like making yourself physically accessible to people, showing interest in what they do, giving them encouragement and praise and constructive feedback. So for example, one thing I used to do to make myself accessible is make sure that I was shouting about all my team members. So, hey, this person's achieved this amazing thing this week and then take them out for a drink. So yeah, it's it's very much about physically being accessible, compassionate, active listening. So that's another thing that is scary for people. They find executive intimidating is when their eyes are moving around the room when you're trying to have a discussion with them. It makes people more nervous. It shows them that you're disinterested. So if they're not interested in what you're saying, you must be stupid, right? So it starts these weird narratives. And so learning how to active listen as a leader is a big thing because people don't even know what that is most of the time. What I've noticed is when you start to look at leaders as humans, you recognize that they make human mistakes. And so I had a situation where I was building a relationship with a revenue leader in the past. And this person, we would go into meetings, they would look all over the room, they wouldn't really pay attention. And I thought, oh, this person's so disinterested in what I'm doing. I'm a partner to them leading the marketing organization for Mia. And we should be doing this together in lockstep. How am I supposed to build a relationship here? And it wasn't until I actually sat down with this person at dinner that I realized they weren't disinterested. They just honestly didn't have to worry about marketing. They were like, I don't need to worry about what you're doing. I know that I'm going to get the updates. I'm getting pings 24-7. And so we're on Zoom. I'm trying to pay attention to you. I'm trying to pay attention to the Slack notifications coming on. And it's not that I'm disinterested. Instead, I have all this pressure coming from above. And I'm so happy that I just don't need to worry about the marketing side right now. Meaning we know it's going to get done. I know that your team's working with my team. But I wouldn't have known that unless I had actually had the conversation with them or really tried to build that personal relationship. And that goes back to just understanding that everyone's human, right? Like, we go home at the end of the day, we have things happening in our house, a leader does too, and they come back to the office. And for some people, they can leave that at home. And for other people, they can't. And that is totally okay. But I think as a leader, it is our job to step in and share some of those stories. You know, maybe not share everything happening at home, but share some of the struggles of, hey, having a hard day, having an unfocused day, or, you know, today I'm really excited about this. I'm going on vacation. I'm doing that. And it encourages your team to talk to you like they're human in the same way. Exactly. And I think it's interesting the point you made about the I'm not having a good day today and sharing mm. that. And then that opens the the floor for other people when they feel like shit, not struggling on. Right. And if they're really, really anxious or they're having maybe like a mental health crisis or something, they're able to come to you for that. They don't feel like they have to hide it and then burn themselves into the ground. Or when they make a mistake, they feel like they can come to you for that. Yeah. I think that's a huge one. We talked about the benefits of strong leadership earlier on. And another benefit is your team feels comfortable to solve problems on their own. But they know that when shit hits the fan, because it does sometimes, you will be there to support them. That understanding of support goes so far in building confidence. And in order to operate effectively and efficiently, your team needs to have that confidence. And so it's, Yes, I was about to say it's a chicken and an egg game. It's not really. It just needs to happen. Yeah, exactly. And so on, on that point, it's it's interesting because I remember in in the exchange world, everybody's 
dog eat dog in the slack, right? So if something's gone wrong, it's their fault. It's terrible. It's like the worst thing. And if you're the leader of that team and you don't have like, you don't have the trust in your team and the confidence in yourself as a leader, you can crumble under this criticism, right? Especially if it's in like a public group, which honestly I used to get all the time. Like, oh my God, marketing have done this. This hasn't happened. Blah, blah, blah. Constant. And you have to protect your team from that. And the only way you do that is by being very firm about your values, your boundaries for your team, how you speak to my team members and who they need to go to if they have a problem. So a lot of the time I would jump in like, let's take this offline. Let's have a conversation. If you have any issues with any of my team members, come to me. Let's resolve it, right? Honestly, this happens all the time, especially in crypto. You have to keep reiterating this and then over time it'll kind of stop happening and that helps your team understand that you have got their back even if they've completely fucked up right you're always that person who's like I understand there's been an issue we're dealing with it like come and talk to me and you don't play the blame game you just kind of keep going on and then when it comes to failure this is something that I love to lead with which is we're going to fail anyway right we're going to fail in something why don't we put failure first how are we going to fail next? And how are we going to make it a success next time? And so when I was leading the marketing teams, things happen all the time. Like we have crisis, we have like product breakdowns. We know something's going to fuck up. So if we're launching a new product and nobody uses it, well, we, we, we half expected that. So how are we going to tweak it? I used to use this narrative, not just with my own team, but with the founders. Hey guys, so this week we've got four growth tests. Okay, we're going to go and try and tweak this UX, we're going to do this marketing campaign, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, right? Let's see which one works. I don't know if they're all going to work, probably not. And you as a leader have to communicate that with your team and with the founders and be comfortable in doing so. But that takes trusting yourself. It takes trusting yourself that it is okay to fail. It takes trusting yourself that that is going to happen and you can pivot and you are malleable to change, you can adjust to change, and you're comfortable in that very uncomfy environment. And that takes time to build. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it mm -hmm. takes a lot of time and self-work, which is, and, and you have to create space for that. It doesn't just happen overnight. And I think this is where we fall down a bit in Web3 because everyone's grinding 24-7. How do they ever have time to work on themselves? And what I mean by work on ourselves is do the, the like how I always say it, cleansing and feeding our mind, cleanse mm -hmm. your mind on a daily basis. You're filling it with so much noise and Twitter feeds and LinkedIn and webinars and whatever else you're learning. You need to empty a bit out of it to see clearly, to grow that little extra. It's like if you're overwatering a plant, it just dies, right? It just stays there. So you actively have to make this a priority. You will not grow as a leader if you're not constantly putting in your own work on yourself. And I think that comes from founders it comes from hr teams it comes from within the company culture because that has to be built in order for people to feel comfortable taking it otherwise you feel like you're digging your heels yeah. in the sand and saying wait a second i need a break my team needs a break and that is a yeah. huge sign of a great leader right someone who protects their team who can't dig their heels in the sand in that way it can be kind of intimidating when you've been hired in as a leader and you are reporting into this founder, you want to build a strong relationship with them, and then you realize that some of those cultural aspects clash. Not there. Yeah. yeah, and you have to have the confidence then to be vocal about that. Not necessarily vocal, mm -hmm. but communicate that, right? 
And then you develop confidence by doing things that make you uncomfortable. That's the only way. I always imagine I've got this ring around me. Okay, how am I stepping outside of it today? Like as a leader, you have to push your your own boundaries all the time. It has to be like not painful, but so uncomfortable that you don't really want to do it, but you're going to do it. And when it comes to this learning process and creating the space, that's on you to develop boundaries. And boundaries, again, Mm -hmm. it's experience and learning. But when you develop boundaries, you give your time back to yourself versus other people. So I have two CEOs Mm -hmm. that I work with and their biggest problem when they first came to me was they don't have enough time. They feel like they're constantly running, constantly running. But the real problem was they're trying to please everybody. And just by setting very clear boundaries, okay, my laptop closes at 7 p.m. latest, just so you know. I will not reply to messages on weekends, just so you know. And then taking off their notifications, like simple, simple things like this is what starts to build boundaries for yourself and help people recognize them too. And then there's a strong trickle-down effect to the rest of your team once you start to set those boundaries into place. Exactly. As we bring this episode to a close, I'm going to pose one question for you that we can chat about here. What do you feel like are going to be some of the most, some of the largest challenges for leaders here in the next iteration of the internet? We've got to a point where we're recognizing now that we're not working sustainably. The Mm -hmm. businesses that are being built, they're not getting the support they need, the founders and the leaders. And and we've discussed about this before. The Web3 Leadership Initiative is like something that you're also a part of, which is how do we figure this out? Because the biggest challenge is is biases, Um, bringing in more women Mm -hmm. because we have tons of gender bias going on and nobody really knows what to do about it. We're all trying, but it's a lot of, we need more women. Okay, cool. Let's go and hire more women, but that's not solving the problem. How do we retain these amazing talents who are maybe coming over from the tech industry or different industries or may have like grown into the Web3 space organically? How do we keep them and help them to keep growing, especially when the markets are so cyclical and especially when there's so much capital during the, the bull markets coming in? Like, how do we keep them working in a sustainable way? Like, that's the biggest challenge right now. Nobody really knows the answer because we can scratch the surface. People can come to me for coaching. We can go and watch webinars on leadership. We can do all this kind of stuff. But if the companies are not changing at the core, how are we going to change as individuals? Especially as we have a really distributed workforce now. People are located all over the world. What does that mean for salaries? What does that mean for time off? What does that mean for building a company culture? How does that look? A lot of the research on working remotely has shown that employees are actually happier and more productive than when they're working in the office. You know, with that, I think it just shows when people feel like they can fully express themselves, when they can be themselves, and when they can feel comfortable psychologically, especially at the office, they are going to go and do their best work. And Web3 is all online. I don't know of any Web3 specific company that requires you to be in office full time. Do you? In France, yeah. In France, it's like a big oh, deal no way. to be in the office. Yeah, it's the okay. opposite. Like in, in the UK and in, in America, it's like we all need to be remote. In France, yeah. they're very much like they love being in the office. They're crazy. All right. <laughs> Fine. I didn't get any work done in offices. Everyone just came over to well, my I can't focus. desk every five minutes. No. Totally. No, I totally agree with you. I had the hardest time focusing. 
And now, even more so now that I've not worked in an office for a very long time. So I don't know how that would work. But that distributed workforce is going to be a challenge. Setting companies up for success is going to be a challenge. I know we talked about this in your Web3 leadership call that we did, the roundtable that we did, which I found mm-hmm. so insightful. The concept that companies are being built smaller. So founders are opting for leaner teams. They can build billion dollar companies now with 10 people. And what is that going to mean in the future? Are we going to have hundreds of companies pop up that are successful in this way? How do we support them to be successful? How many employees is the right number of employees? And all of these are going to be answered as we move towards the future. But right now, I think there's a question mark on a lot of leaders' minds. Definitely. And I think the next step is how do we create awareness? Because honestly, a few people who come to me are like, you know, it's just it's just crypto. It's just Web3. And I'm like, this is what we've created. We can change it now. Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have to be working 24-7. You, you're allowing it. And the repetition is just becoming the norm. And so with that, building awareness that there is different ways to do this and we're going to be more successful overall and creating guidelines. So mm. creating guidelines and leaving, leading by example. They're the two things that are going to help us to make small change. So, for example, I run free workshops on compassionate leadership. And we can go into this maybe another day. But compassionate leadership, being empathetic, making sure that you're on the same level as your team. Mm-hmm. That's missing as well right now. So slowly, slowly, we're doing the little things and we're trying to build an army <laughs> to help us do this. And you're doing a huge amount to help move that army forward. And I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast today to chat. My Web3 BFF here, us coming together. I've been on your podcast. Now you get to be on mine. Before we close out, though, do you want to tell everybody how they can get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what you do? Yes. So my biggest channel is LinkedIn. So you can follow me, Emily Rose Delara. And we can put put it in the show notes or something. Everywhere else, it's Emily in Web3. And then my website is web3andthrive.com. And of course, my podcast is Web3 and Thrive if you want to learn about how to thrive in Web3. Okay, and that brings us to the very end of today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. If you have any questions about anything we covered in the show or would like to learn more about how we can work together, come and find me over on LinkedIn and drop me a quick hello. I love when you all reach out and I respond to every single message. If you liked today's session, don't forget to follow the podcast. And then finally, if you're ready to fine tune your Web3 marketing skills, don't forget about my newest marketing course, The Power of Web3 Marketing. Unlike most courses, this one helps marketers get up to speed on Web3 and learn exactly how they can implement the right trends and strategies for their business today. So as a special gift, Marketing on the Moon listeners get an extra $150 off using code MINT, M-I-N-T. Head to the power of web3.marketing to grab your seat today. And don't forget to tune in next week as we dive deeper into the world of Web3. I cannot wait to see you there.